0: Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Unoriginal Thoughts, hosted by me, Abigail Combs. It has been a minute, it's been a couple months. Um, I wanted to catch up really quickly before we get into this very special episode with a very special guest. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you're having a wonderful day whenever you're listening to this. As you have noticed, the unoriginal thinking has just been absent, and I Honestly, there's like no particular reason why I haven't done an episode in a while. I just like, I've been just doing other things, period. <laughs> That's all I have to say. So um, I will say some people have asked me, they're like, when's your next episode coming out? Which is so sweet. I'm, I'm really glad that y'all are enjoying the few episodes that I have put out in the past, but um, just a couple things going on in my life right now. I'm still working <laughs> in the ICU. As we have talked about before, I lately have been hanging out with a lot of my friends from work. Um, and that has just been so sweet. There's a specific bond that nurses have with one another. Nursing is a career where teams are just essential. Like you have to have a good team or else everything's going to hit the fan. Um, and so it just makes you really close to the people that you work with. So that's just been awesome to have that community there um also (laughs) this past week I worked six shifts in a row six night shifts in a row we'll never be doing that again the reason why I did it though is because I'm going to concerts next week and for each schedule period we have to have a certain number of we have to sign up for a certain number of Sundays and Mondays and so in order for that to work I had to do six in a row or that's how I schedule myself unfortunately but like it was it was rough it wasn't ideal at all i could physically feel the effects on my body because the most i've ever done before is four so by day four i was like all right day five i i mean you know we're lifting patients we're bending over craning our necks all the things and so i really felt at day five day six i was just kind of in a trance and then by the time day six came around i was like well i'm done thankfully but yeah we'll not be doing that again (laughs) A couple other things that I've been up to. I guess I kind of started this in like February. But um, I have been doing Lily Sabri workouts a lot on my back porch. And that has been great. If you are not familiar with her, she's a YouTuber. And she, all during quarantine, she was doing live workouts like I think like every day. And they're not like the 15-minute Chloe Ting workouts. This is like you will be panting. Your heart rate will be higher than it's probably ever been before she makes you do a ton of burpees there she has a factor about her which is so great that actually makes me want to work out I don't know what it is but she's great and I really enjoy doing her workouts and just like learning more about working out in the past you know I've I've done like some HIIT workouts and and I like to run and so kind of doing those here and there but like with her I'm like motivated to do a workout like multiple times a week versus just like doing one and then being like, okay, I worked out this week, you know? Um, So that's actually, it's just felt really good. And I feel so much better whenever I work out after, I always feel so much better. Also, I've been trying to like eat more protein (laughs) to go along with working out. And that's been fun to explore new foods, like trying the the pre-cooked lentils at Trader Joe's, or they also have a really good um, high protein veggie burger that I like, eating some shrimp, What else? I've also just been making like lots of veggie bowls with like cauliflower rice. Another thing that I have been doing is trying to get back into painting and my art, which has been awesome. And just to remember that I can take time for that part of myself as well. So yeah, I think that's me right now. All right. So those were just a couple random things going on here. Uh, But now it's time to get into the episode, which I'm very, very excited for you all to hear and just take in everything i'm gonna let y'all get into it are you ready all right everyone welcome back to unoriginal thoughts hosted by me abigail combs i have a very very special guest with me today she is someone that i have talked about on this podcast multiple times someone who i love and adore and i'm just so excited for um my audience to get to hear a little about her and who she is, um, it is my pleasure to introduce to you guys my mother, Gail Combs. Woo! Claps for that. Say hello, mom. Hello. How are you? I <laughs> I'm great, mom. How are you feeling? A <laughs> uh, little uneasy, but fine. No, you're gonna do great. I'm I'm just very very excited about this. So as we know, well, today is May 7th. I'm hopefully going to put this out tomorrow, May 8th, um, to celebrate Mother's Day, which is why I wanted to really have a conversation with my mom on here. My mom is going to be sharing things about her, who she is, and then I really wanted to also talk about adoption. And um, if this is your first time listening to this episode, I am adopted. Um, My sister and I are both adopted from China, and um, I've always wanted to just have my mom in here to share her perspective on what that process was like, especially doing it as a single mom, and she is amazing. So, mom, I would love for you to talk about yourself a little, which I know you don't normally do, but this is your time to shine. You can say your name, talk about your family, growing up, all the things. Go ahead.
1: Well, my name is Gail Combs. I grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and lived there all except for three years of my life. Uh, this is this is home and probably will be unless God leads elsewhere. My parents both grew up grew up during the Great Depression. they they did not have much of anything, but they had a strong work ethic. And uh, they raised us to work for what we wanted. And to be responsible and to trust that God was going to take care of the things that we weren't able to. Uh, My mother dearly wanted children but was told early on that she would would not be able to bear children. Well after daddy came back from World War II things changed and um, mother had three live births two boys and a girl. And a few years down the way, she miscarried, and then a few years later, I was born. Woo! (laughs) So I'm the youngest of four, and there's a big gap between my sister and myself. I love my siblings dearly. They took care of me like I was their responsibility, even though Mother vowed that, that she would not make them take charge of me, and because she didn't make them, they wanted to. I grew up in the inner city, but when I was 12, we moved out to the suburbs and had two and a half acres of land. My sister had always wanted a horse, so she got a horse, and I fell in love with him. So during my junior high and high school years, I spent most of my time sitting on on the back of that horse. He was my friend. He was the one that, Listen to anything that was bothering me about school.
0: Love that big horse girl. (laughs) And wait, talk about how, like, what y'all would do to take care of your horses. Y'all did everything.
1: Well, daddy said if we were going to have horses, it was our responsibility. So my sister and I would go to the feed store. She was working at the time because, again, she was older than me. And we would lug 50 pound bags of feed into her car and bring them home and stick them in the wheelbarrow and carry them down to the feed room. Kept them in garbage cans to keep the rats out of them. The only thing dad did to really help us was something we weren't able to do for ourselves. He would drive the truck through the hay field because hay was cheaper to pick it up in the field ourselves than to have somebody deliver it to us. So he would drive his truck around the hay field and we would throw the hay bales up on the truck until it got so high we didn't we weren't able to and then he and my brother would help stack them up higher in the truck so that we could get enough hay to last through the winter Um, our yard didn't have enough
0: grass in the winter time to support the horses so they had to have hay as a supplement what's like your favorite memory with your horses also, also, talk about their names. So fun.
1: Well, my horse's name was Stardust and we called him Dusty. He loved to run. I don't know if he had been a racehorse at some point in time because whenever we went anywhere, he always had to have his nose out a little bit ahead of the other horses. But I just, I love to get on him and feel like he would run like the wind and and just feeling that sense of power i rode without a saddle so i could feel his muscles underneath me moving and it was just a wonderful feeling and a sense that 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 was something that was mine to be in control of my sister's horse's name was uh, Ebony's duke he was a registered walking horse he wasn't trained to walk but he um, was five gated and just he could could rack about as fast as Dusty could run. We called
0: him Duke, so we had Duke and Dusty. Do you want to explain racking for people who don't know what racking is? A
1: rack is is a gate where they basically have one foot on the ground at a time. Um, it's fast. It's the the motion that a um, walking horse learns to do, but they they elongate that motion to make it look higher stepping it's a very smooth ride you can can sit and feel like you're just not bouncing at all when the horse is racking
0: so cool I think the reason why I personally loved horses growing up as a kid is because my mom always talked about like horses and um her having her own and My sister and I, we would always be like, oh, we want a horse. But I cannot imagine us having a horse.
1: (laughs) They were a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say.
0: So much work and just very expensive as well just to keep up with them. Um, But yay, I love that. So you kind of talked about growing up with your siblings. But what kind of stuff did you all do as kids? I'd love to hear the stories. Well,
1: being the youngest, I was probably the one that was – Most susceptible to tattling. (laughs) So, my brothers and sister would tell me they would take me with them on the condition that I did not tell anybody. And when I was really little, my oldest brother would put me up on the bar of his bicycle in front of him so he could hold me. I didn't have to hold on myself. He held me. And they'd take me all sorts of places. And some of them I think we really weren't supposed to go.
0: But that's the fun of it.
1: (laughs) Yes. But I never told because I wanted to get to go back with them the next time. As I got a little bit older, I started riding on the back of my sister's bicycle when I was big
0: enough to hold on and balance for myself. Right. That's so fun. Okay, great. So my mom is a teacher. She's actually about to retire, which I'm so excited for because she's one of the hardest working people I know, and she deserves to have... Time off now. Talk about, you know, your education um, and kind of your jobs that you had before you became a teacher. Um,
1: well, I went to school in tennis, uh, in Chattanooga. I went to UTC and graduated with a, a bachelor's degree in business education for um, grade seven through 12. At that time, the job market was so flooded with teachers here in this area, I couldn't get a job. So um, I worked one year for a moving company, but really wanted to get into teaching. And someone told me that um, where they lived in Athens, Georgia, there were some jobs available. So I moved to Athens, Georgia and taught in a nursery school in the mornings with very young (laughs) three-year-olds and then went home had lunch and taught math at a boys detention center in the afternoon the boys most of them were about 14 or 15 years old so I went from little bitty kids to rather large boys
0: delinquents the (laughs) juveniles of the age yes
1: (laughs) But it, that, that job at the detention center was my favorite of all the places I've worked. I, mm. I love that job more than any place else I've been. I yeah. learned a lot. I got an education. Yeah. And I loved working with those boys.
0: Mm. Um,
1: after that, I came home and started working at an inner city school, teaching civics and typing to ninth graders. I did that for for about seven years and then our junior high school became a middle school our ninth graders moved up to high school and we got sixth graders and i had to teach sixth grade health <laughs> and that kind of did me and i thought i never want to teach again uh we were having a lot of issues with um people throwing rocks at us from cars driving past the school and having guns brought to school and my doctor suggested that I just take some time off and decide if that was really what I wanted to do because I was having some health issues because of all of this. So he hired me and I worked for him for about 18 months, but just really, really missed teaching. So I went back to teaching after that and um, started teaching at a school near where I lived and taught there. This will be my 29th year
0: amazing at that school yeah we love teachers and I also just love that you like kind of did so many things throughout your time until you got to like kind of where you've been for the past 29 years just to show that like you know you can hop around in life and do different things and whatnot okay so I do want to ask you more specifically about teaching First of all, why did you want to become a teacher?
1: Well, originally, I didn't want to become a teacher. I wanted to work with teenagers. And I was thinking more like in the church setting. But I thought if I got an education degree, I would have training in working with adolescents that would help me be better
0: prepared to work with that age student. Right. I will say... Mom is a great teacher. She is so patient and kind and all throughout my sister and I's childhood, like all throughout before we were in school, while we were in school, she would literally make us do these things during the summer <laughs> like workbooks. So basically, during the summer when we were off, like we would get up and um we would do these educational workbooks. Whether it was math or reading, we also learned how to type. How old was I when I learned how to type? I was like in first grade, probably
1: six or seven. yes. Yeah,
0: I was literally six or seven learning how to type. It was a Lion King typing game, and I loved it. There was a specific game on there. It was like um, you were you had to type you know words, and the faster you typed, the faster you you were running away from the hyenas. Um, and I remember that game specifically. Anyway, um, but I literally learned how to type when I was you know six or seven and I just remember that being like such an asset for me um growing up because instead of using my index fingers trying to type a paper I already knew how to type um so that was really beneficial and then just overall reading a lot we did like the summer reading program here in Chattanooga at the public library so we would have to read a certain number of books and then we Um, at the end of the summer, they would do this like festival thing where we would get all these fun coupons to do things in Chattanooga. And then, yeah, it was, it was great. Lots of learning opportunities. And I'm really grateful for the way that my mom was just always willing to teach us whatever. And if we didn't know, or if she didn't know about what we were learning about, then she would figure out how to learn about it and would figure out what we needed to be successful in whatever it was. So I'm just very grateful for you for that. And I know that it was your passion as well just to teach us, which is really cool. So what are some of the subjects that you have taught throughout the years? Well, when I began, I was
1: um, teaching keyboarding, typing. Um, Terminology has changed at, at the time. It was called typing, and then it moved into keyboarding and civics. I was not certified in civics, but it was something that we could do we could teach two subjects out of our area and then um, governor alexander came in with a program called basic skills first computer skills next and they provided our school with five computers i had 30 students who had to use five computers to learn something about the computers so i would split the class in half half of them would read about computers and answer questions. the other half had three kids sitting at each computer learning a little bit about computer programming. They loved it I loved it um, they took really really good care of the co- the equipment because they'd never seen computers before they were really proud to have them mm-hmm. um, Then when I moved to when I left for a while and moved to the other school I taught math a year and then I taught, computer technology did that for 18 years and then moved back to the math classroom and i have taught sixth grade seventh grade
0: and eighth grade math queen they've moved her around a lot but she has just buckled down and done whatever i just remember in high school like taking pre-algebra algebra algebra one algebra two and all that stuff um it was very helpful to have my mom who knew what she was talking about and like I said I think I said this before but mom is so patient and I'm so grateful for that what is your favorite thing about being a teacher and least favorite thing about being a teacher we'll start on the negative and on the high so what's your least favorite thing my least favorite thing is
1: the role politics plays in education Mm. It, it bothers me that um the students aren't the most important thing, that it, it's who you know, who you have pull with mm. that gives you standing in, in the system. My favorite thing about teaching is the relationship with the students, right. being able to, to work with them and help them to see the reasons for, for choices and, and to make better choices you know, regardless of what it is the the subject matter is still to help them to become better people.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. I also think it's so appropriate that it teachers appreciation week has just kind of ended. And I just know that, I mean, if you whoever is listening, thinking about your favorite teacher growing up and what an impact they had on your life, teachers do so much more than just teach you the subject that they are talking about they teach you about life and I know that my mom has just impacted so many of her students lives in ways that you know just providing that love and that grace that she just always brings to the table so awesome okay how you kind of touched on this briefly but describe how teaching has changed since you started like 30 years ago
1: well, when I was first hired at a public school, the principal came to me and he said, I'm not gonna teach, tell you how you have to teach. Right. He said, you will find what works for you and be able to use it. But I am gonna give you a person that can help you with the things that you may struggle with being in an in inner city school. And I, I did, I did find what worked for me. And what the ways that I needed to present things so that my students could get it, I felt had a good feeling for when I had needed to reteach and do things like that. But now it's come to the place that, yes, they are going to teach it, tell us how we have to teach and we have to fit everybody into the same mold. Teachers have to do things exactly the same way, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't work for them. Right. There's a lot of
0: micromanagement that didn't exist when I first started. Right. Yeah, and I think that's really a sad part about our education system now figuring out how to navigate that while still having your students' best interests at heart. I feel like it's really difficult. But I feel like you've done a good job of like balancing that and, you know, kind of checking the boxes off but also like really making sure your students know or stand to the best of their ability as much as you can because it's hard my my main concern is the students
1: and i'm willing to fight the system to be sure my students get what we need mm. but i always refer back to what one of my first students wrote to me in a letter before he left the detention home he said miss combs you treat us like normal students not like juvenile de- delinquents, mm. and that was always a goal in my life to to treat every student, no matter how bad they were, how bad their behavior was. <laughs> right. Not the students aren't bad; it's their behavior that's bad, and I wanted to treat them that that they did have a chance to change. There was room that they could make better choices.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. Oh, you talking about that just made me think of something else. Um, I I mean. I feel like your experience in the juvenile, or I suppose the juvenile detention home, in the detention home teaching them, I feel like prepared you for the demographic of students that you have now. Talk about maybe like ACEs. If you're not familiar with ACEs, that refers to adverse childhood experiences. Those play a significant role in our development, considering what a child has gone through. They're like ACEs risk factor or factors maybe it's not even a risk maybe they have experienced extreme trauma talk about how you see that play out in your kids behavior and what you've tried to do to accommodate that and meet their needs in that way so many of our students um our the demographics of our school has changed a whole
1: lot over the past 29 years but so many of our students now come from backgrounds where they've experienced a lot of trauma and those students desperately need consistency firm boundaries to know that the people they look up to can be trusted to do what they say whether it's Mm. you know if you don't do what you need to do then this is going to happen they need to know that we're going to carry through with that that's that's important for them to be able to trust us Mm. And so that's what I try to do in, in a kind way, provide choices for my students so that they feel like they have some control. They have some buy-in to what's doing, but provide choices for what they need to do. And then also a follow-through will, if if you make this choice, this is what's going to happen. And if you make this choice, this is what's going to happen. And right. And to be consistent with that so that they know They know the fences are there to
0: keep them safe. Right. And I think that's so huge that you make that a priority whenever you interact with them. Because if you remember my, this was I think my second episode, or maybe like my first official episode, I talked about Maslow's hierarchy. And that definitely plays a role, especially when you have adolescent children that have experienced trauma so maybe their physiological needs are met. Maybe they do get food and water, but maybe they've experienced trauma with their parents. Um, and that second tier of the hierarchy, safety, um, is not met. Or they just like don't even know what that means because they've always felt unsafe at home. So providing that at school is huge. And just having an adult that they can look up to makes such a big difference. So that's great. All right. So we have talked a lot about teaching um, and, you know, I know mom could continue to go on and on about all the all the different things that she's learned as a teacher. But I kind of want to transition and talk about adoption. Um, As I mentioned earlier, my mom adopted my sister and I as a single mom. And I just want her to be able to share her story and how she made that decision to do what she did and just everything involved with that but um i really wanted to take this time for mom to be able to share her her experience with that so i will first start off with mom when did you first know that you wanted to adopt i wanted to adopt
1: i had had that desire i had that did, that dream to adopt when i was 16 and my plan was to have a big house on a big spacious place property and to adopt as many children as I could possibly adopt especially that. the children that fall into the category of being hard to adopt that that was my dream mm. but things didn't work out as I planned and um Relationships fell through, and I never found someone that I wanted to spend my life with. And I felt like it would not be fair to adopt a child if I couldn't give them both a mother and a father. Until I took a missions trip to Eastern Europe, and we went into a Romanian orphanage. And the caregivers did their very, very best to provide what the children needed. But there were so many children in that orphanage, and one worker had to feed, change, and take care of, like, about 30 babies. Hmm. And when we walked in the door, one little girl, who looked like she was about 18 months old, lifted her arms to be held. And I knew enough from child development to know that that's an age where they should have stranger anxiety. Mm. But she didn't. And I went over and picked her up and I carried her around as we went around and talked and played with the other babies. I just carried her and she just clung to me. Mm. And that's when I knew that having a mother would be better for those babies than not having anybody at all. So I came back home to um, check out whether or not it was possible for me to adopt as a single person. And uh, they did tell me I could not adopt Claudia because she was a baby and Romania only allows single parents to adopt school-aged children. Oh, I didn't know that part. So um, in in the next sentence of, of talking with this adoption agency, she said, however, China will allow you to adopt a baby. So at that point, I asked her to send me the paperwork, and I started processing to adopt my first
0: child. And here we are. <laughs> I,
1: I looked at the instructions that came with, to me, and it was overwhelming. It just it blew me away. But God had provided for that, too. Mm-hmm. My mother went to a different church from me, and she came home, and she said one of the ladies in my class said that a relative of hers just came home from China having adopted a little girl. And she's willing to talk to you if you want to, to reach out to her. So I did, and she encouraged me to take that instruction booklet and take one step at a time. She said, if you look at it at all, it's overwhelming. But if you take it one step at a time, it eventually comes together. So that's what I did. I started off getting all the documents together that had to be pulled together. Then I got someone to notarize all those documents, and then I took them to the Hamilton County Courthouse to get the courthouse to state that that notary was an official notary, and to give us a second seal. And at every step of here, we had to um, make a, make seven
0: copies. Y'all, this was the before dossier. like internet stuff. Yes. What what was this ninety seven or no wait ninety eight? When did you? Wait, it did you... was ninety seven that I started. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 1997, before all digital stuff. So this was like, she had to make copies. (laughs) Then
1: we had to make a trip to Nashville. I took my mother with me so I didn't have to go alone. Went to Nashville to the state building and get a seal stating that the Hamilton County seal was valid. Then I had to, I used a courier for the next step. Um, My papers had to go to... Washington, D.C. They had to be approved by the U.S. State Department, and they had to be approved by the Chinese embassy in Washington, D.C. And then when they got back to me, I had to sort everything out. Um, I think three dossiers went to the um, adoption agency. They sent one to China and kept one. I was supposed to keep one. I was supposed to keep two so that I could take one with me and keep one at home just in case something happened during travel. And then started the process of waiting. Once I sent my dossier in, the the girl from the adoption agency says, you are now officially pregnant. (laughs) Well, I was officially pregnant for 18 months. (laughs) Longest wait to experience. And at one point in time, I just was so discouraged. I was supposed to go out with some friends. It was in February. And I just, there was no way of following up on this adoption. You just waited until somebody contacted you. And I was supposed to go out with friends, and I called, and I said, I just, I'm I'm just sad. I just don't feel like I would be good company tonight. I'm going to stay home. And I'm so glad I did. Because about 7 o'clock that night, I got a call from Oregon. It was probably about 4 o'clock their time. So they were still in the office. And they said, we have your match. And they described to me my little girl, told me how old she was, where she was, told me all about her, what her name was, and uh, then told me I had to wait to get travel permission before I could go.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right and um, this was all
0: about Hannah my older sister yes this was
1: my first child so um, I tried to get everything together so that uh, we were all packed my sister was going to travel with me to help me and we we made sure we weighed our suitcases to be sure they were within the (laughs) weight limit plus having the fact that you had to have a multitude of diapers for for the baby, of course, and uh <laughs> we did, we did good that suitcase was full of baby stuff, and mm-hmm. we made our clothes work so that we could just send them to the laundry and not have to have so many and uh, the day they called me to tell me when I needed travel, I was at school, they called me at the work number, and um I went to the office and I said, I need to run home at lunch to make a phone call. And the principal was so excited. She said, oh, no, just come in my office and make a phone call because that was the only place we could make a long-distance call. <laughs> so I called them back and set up travel and took off to China.
0: Woohoo! And then how was that first time in China?
1: We arrived in uh, Hong Kong and— had orientation meetings and met with uh, seven other parents mm-hmm. that were adopting from the same, same province. Uh, after our orientation meeting, we traveled, we flew to, um, to F- Fujian, the province where we were going. Um, the little girls were from across the other side of the province, but we stayed in the state capital because that was where we had to do, process the adoption. And our little girls got to us about ten o'clock at night. When they opened the door, I was so happy to see my little girl. And they put her in my arms and I hugged her and she pushed me away. She didn't have a clue who I was. And she was terrified. Mm. She spoke Chinese. Even though she was just fifteen months old, she was a talker. Always (laughs) has been, always will be. Very verbal child. And uh she she did not understand me and it just frightened her. So she cried most of that night. We blew up beach balls and red books and blue bubbles and everything we could think of until she just fell over exhausted. She it was a fitful sleep that night. But we got up the next morning and did all the processing to complete the the Chinese adoption. And she blew kisses to the workers as they, they left the bus. And after that, she turned around and started playing with us. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, I put her at the table with my sister and went to get her something for breakfast from the food bar. And when I turned to walk away, she cried, Mama! Oh. <laughs> that was the best Mother's Day present ever. hmm Even though it was a little bit early, it was more at Easter time, but she
0: changed my name to Mama. That's so sweet. Yep, so that's my annoying sister. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. You don't have to go too much into depth about my adoption process, because, yeah, I know that whenever you got back, you were like, I want another baby. Well, let let me fill in the
1: gaps. When when I got back, as I was finishing the the social worker visits for for Hannah, I told the social worker, I really want to adopt again. I want Hannah to have a sister that looks like her. Hmm. And she said, that's great. She said, we'll consider this meeting, Hannah's final, and the next child's first. And so, knowing all I had gone through the first time, I still wanted a second child. It it was it did not faze me in the least to have to go through all the paperwork again. And and we did, you know, it it was just perfect timing. The main difference was when they called to tell me that they had a match for me. They couldn't tell me anything about my baby except her name, which meant meant in Chinese beautiful and smart. <laughs> And she's proven to be both
0: of those things. Oh, that's very kind. Um, My Chinese name is Guo Yu Jun also, just for fun. And they called her Jun Jun. Oh, wait, that's cute. I didn't
1: realize that. That's what they called. Called at the orphanage. (laughs) So um, when we traveled to get her, I traveled back with a three and a half year old. And I wouldn't have changed it for anything, (laughs) but it
0: was an experience traveling with one that small. (laughs) whenever you were talking about traveling with Hannah, whenever mom actually got me and we were like on some bus, I don't know what we were doing, but Hannah did not like me. She did not want the attention stolen from her. And we were, uh, we were in China on this bus and she's like screaming on the bus, take her back to China. (laughs) And like, we always laugh about that because my mom, you know, was obviously preoccupied with me. Hannah didn't like that. And she was like, take her back, send her back Anyway, I just always think that's just such a funny story. That became her song for several months, even after we got back to to the United States. (laughs) They finally said, she's here to stay. We're not taking her back. You need to stop saying that. I'm not a dog. Man, I wish Hannah, Hannah wasn't here for this conversation. Yeah. Such a cool story. And if you can't already tell, just by listening to my mother speak, she has a very, very big heart. And I'm very grateful for that, for just opening up her life and arms and home and showing us who the Lord is and, and what his love looks like. Um, okay. So now that we have kind of, you know, talked about the process of adoption, we have something that we celebrate. And I just wanted to talk about this really quickly. Some families call them gotcha days. And these are the anniversaries of when a child is adopted. So mine is April 10th. When is Hannah's? Um, April. April 26th. April 26th. So they were last month, which is super fun and special. April is Asian American and Pacific Islander month, which is really cool. Um, that That's also the month that we were adopted. Mom, do you want to explain how you've kind of celebrated our gotcha days throughout the years? Because I feel like you were very intentional with it. Yeah, because it's just a special day for us um, just to remember when we were adopted and yeah
1: well when you were younger because another parent had told me while we were there with Hannah that she had gathered items souvenirs to give to her her daughter throughout the years I had had picked up items and especially when I adopted Abigail picked up two items, (laughs) to uh, give the children something each year from China, reminding them of their culture, whether it was a a little parasol or a Chinese doll or um, chopsticks. I had tea sets, just all sorts of things that came from China. Mm -hmm. Some of them for a younger age, some of them for an older age. I, I wanted them to remember where they came from. Uh, we also celebrated Chinese New Year with a group here in Chattanooga called Families with Children from China. And the little girls would get together and, and just just have a blast playing in the gym and we'd eat Chinese food. And, and that was a place for these little girls to realize that all of their friends had parents that looked very different. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, in October, would <laughs> do... The best I could do uh, to celebrate the moon festival. We didn't think that moon cakes would, uh, filled with bean paste, would be especially good. I learned later that that wasn't true. They're actually quite good. <laughs> but to tell a child you're giving them bean paste <laughs> uh, didn't really go over. Because so that's we, how
0: they're normally made yes. in China. With but the bean, bean
1: paste. paste is sweet, so it, it is quite good. Mm-hmm. But we had moon pies and we had donuts and uh, we just did all sorts of different things. And we would sit out and look at the moon and talk about how, as the moon was a reflection of the sun, that we were supposed to be a reflection of God's love.
0: Hmm. And, um, yeah,
1: you know, I remember one of the times I remember we just laid out on a quilt on, on the ground and it was just kind of fun to just I look don't... up at the
0: sky and be quiet and... I remember all of that. That's actually so nostalgic and oh, so sweet. I think you did a good job of just like, I mean, there's so many things about my culture that I do not know, and that's on my own time and terms to learn more about. But like, I think you did as best as you could. I I think it's just important for, well, on, Let me backtrack. I also think it's great that that I did grow up with a sister who looks like me Um, and then I mean my childhood best friend she was also adopted from China and so that was huge to have a friend that looked like me at school um, and us being a part of that group to see other Chinese kids I'm grateful for that. Um, We, We also
1: tried to do Chinese language school but it didn't go over where well. the Chinese language is really difficult to learn. It is. Now, Hannah was speaking some, and as she's become an adult, she's become interested in, in learning Chinese. And I feel like she's kind of got an advantage over the rest of us because she had the beginning basics of the Chinese language in her brain. Right. Even if she doesn't actively remember it, I think it will come
0: back as she's right. learning. No, for sure. Uh, you talking about that made me think about how adopted. Actually, I'm going to let you tell this. Talk about my development over the years. Well,
1: Abigail, Hannah had been as with a, a foster parent, and she was just developmentally where she needed to be. But Abigail had been in an orphanage and apparently had not had anybody to talk to her or anything, and she was developmentally delayed. Even though she was nine months old when I got her, she was more like a five- or six-month-old baby. She spent a lot of her time on her hands and knees rocking, self-soothing, because the orphanage workers did not have time to soothe the babies when they were upset. And so they learned to self-soothe. So she was very much behind... And I had several concerns. I I didn't know if she might have a mental disability, if she might be deaf. I even wondered at times because she just seemed to just go into another world if she was autistic. But with time and attention, uh, by the time she was 13 months old, she had met all of her developmental milestones except speaking. And it took quite a while. I'm sure because she didn't have the language development from birth that it took a while for her to build those skills. But even though she wasn't able to speak clearly, she understood words. And when I had her tested, she was, I think, four. And the lady testing her said she does not have any kind of language impairment other than that she doesn't speak clearly she said i'm already up to words that a first grader understands and she's just four so there's there's not an inability to learn there and later as she was um, tested for gifted we found that her language and writing was her strong point so she went from having a disability in, in language to being very advanced in language.
0: And I, uh, the reason why I like, brought all that up is just, I think it's so fascinating how much an impact of just spending time with a kid and investing extra resources or extra time, um, how much that can impact their overall development. Yeah, it's honestly like kind of crazy i i was a child who mom thought that i had some kind of mental delay and and even if i were to have that i mean obviously that's okay um but just somehow someone asked me when i got your paperwork even the
1: paperwork suggested something was wrong hmm. and they said are you gonna send her back because you're supposed <gasps> to get a healthy child I said, no way, that is my baby. If she was born to me, I would not be sending her back. That's my baby. Whatever the issue, we're going to deal with it.
0: The audacity. Talk about, which, you know, you don't have to like bash anyone. But I know that you did get some, just some comments as a single mom walking in the store with two babies that don't necessarily look like you. I know that my mom has gotten comments. My sister and I have also gotten comments before. Just share kind of what that experience was like. Um, um, just people that don't, maybe just don't understand.
1: For for some people, it was like your life's supposed to be an open book. And I'm, mm. I'm a rather private person.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, when Hannah was real young, I had somebody say to me, Oh, is that one of the babies that China doesn't want? And I was just crushed that they would say Mm. that in front of my child because she was very much wanted by me.
0: Right. Oh, my gosh. And that
1: was just so inappropriate. Yeah. It was almost like they thought she had no feelings because she was a toddler. But toddlers hear and understand things like that, and, and it impacts them. Yeah. I had another person say... Is that your child? And when I answered yes, she said, tell me how you met your husband.
0: So freaking nosy.
1: And I'm thinking, you know, adoption makes this child my real child. Right. And, you know, the general population sometimes doesn't understand that. You right. know, adoption doesn't make fake families. It makes real families. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lady That's kind of funny She kept following me around And by that time I had gotten tired of people Asking insensitive questions And so I just kept turning my back to her And not acting like I didn't see her So that I wouldn't have to talk to her Well then she disappeared And in a few minutes She came back pushing a buggy Apparently her mother had gone off with her baby And she had A Chinese baby in her buggy So then we set up a
0: conversation.
1: I didn't mind talking with somebody that had experienced what I had
0: experienced. Right. I think that's something that's so huge. I kind of want to do an episode where I just talk about like my experience as an Asian American woman growing up in Tennessee, but just, yeah, like, because that's, you know, that's a pretty specific experience. Also being adopted, very, very specific perspective on life, but just a general statement if you're ever going to ask anyone about where they're from or like something about their, you know, race always, if you're going to ask, which I'm like, "Mm, should you even ask if you like don't know them? Probably not because it's none of your business, but also give context as to why you're asking. It goes over so much better and it allows you to, I, I don't know, There's a right and wrong way to ask those kinds of questions. And I understand some people are generally, genuinely curious. However, sometimes it's just not appropriate. And I've definitely experienced very inappropriate, nosy questions that people have asked me. I'm like, what the, I cannot believe that came out of your mouth. But, you know, I think, mom, you have always handled yourself very gracefully when talking to people like that. I've tried to make it that it's your story and if
1: you want to tell it you can Mm. it's not somebody else's place to
0: demand to know right and i think growing up i know that my adoption was something that i just i just wanted to fit in with everyone and i i felt like weird telling people so there are a couple girls at work um one of them is adopted and she's asian and the other one She's not adopted, um, but her and her family immigrated here. Um, And yeah, it's just super cool just to have that immediate connection with with another person who is adopted and just having that shared experience. You just feel so much closer to them because of something that you went through. Mom, do you have anything else you would like to say on this Unoriginal Thoughts podcast?
1: I think... Next to salvation, adoption is the next best best thing that ever happened in my life. Mm. I am so blessed. People come up to me and said, oh, your children are blessed. No, I'm the one that's blessed Mm. to have two precious young
0: ladies. Well, that's very kind. I'm very blessed by you. I literally say this all the time. I wouldn't be the person I am today without you. Just... Literally everything that you've taught me and just the person that you are. I think that wraps up today's unoriginal thoughts. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed just getting to know my mom and getting to hear more about adoption. And who knows, maybe I'll have her back on at some point to talk about something else. But mom, how, how do you feel after... She was a little nervous, which I was like, that's okay to be <laughs> nervous. Uh, but I was like, you're going to do great.
1: It went better than I, I expected.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that. So, yeah, you know, it's been a while since I have done an episode, but I am hoping to do a few more here in the future. Don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram at Thoughts Pod, And I think that wraps it up. Oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. So I always ask guests... Just what is your unoriginal thought of the day? It can be literally anything. Basically, it's like, what's an unoriginal thought that you want to share with the world?
1: I know I don't want this to, to sound trite, but my whole life has been built around the concept that God loves me and has a beautiful plan for my life. And my daughters have been part of that plan. And as I get ready to go into a new phase of my life, I know that his plan's not done yet and that he has more things ahead. So wherever you may be in your life, whether you've walked away from God, turned your back on God, or never heard of God, or whether you're right in the middle of where God wants you to be, he loves you and he
0: has great things ahead for you. Dang, I'm going to cry. <laughs> that was so good. And it's true. It's true. Well, mom, thank you so much again for for taking your time to be on the podcast. I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Stay original as always. And I will talk to you guys later. Bye. Say bye. Bye. <laughs>